Hello, hello, hello. What do we have here then? Uh, that's my impression of a policeman. Leave it on that, I'm talking on air, and I'm probably drinking tea. Shooting the breeze in the hope that you care. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Hello, Scalivers. Thanks for downloading the podcast, guys. Once again, really appreciate your commitment to this podcast. And um, this week's guest is Marek Larwood, who is a comedian or was a comedian. He doesn't actually perform live anymore, but we chat about that in the podcast. Uh, he's an actor. He's been in films. I am him, uh, and he's also an impractical joker. He was uh, part of the show Impractical Jokers for two series, and we talk about that as well and uh, how stressful I would find doing that. I spent the whole day uh, with Marek because he basically said, I will do your podcast if you do mine, and he does a film podcast called Film Fandango, which you can get on iTunes. Um, so we went to go and see The Florida Project and then came back, went back to his house, uh, and I recorded his podcast where we discussed the film. And then I recorded him. So if you want to listen to that, you can go on Film Fandango and check that out as well. Also, not forgetting, uh, Marek uh, used to be in a sketch group called We Are Clang, which did very well. Very successful sketch group. Um, him, uh, Greg Davies and Steve Hall. So if you get a chance to check that out, that was um, a BBC show. But the live stuff, apparently, according to Marek, was, uh, was better. Which you won't be able to see because they're not together anymore. So... That is a shame, but I'm sure there's some recordings online of them performing live. I hope you lot don't mind, but I'm going to plug something now. Um, It's that time of the show where I like to plug, 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 and not my bath, although I do like baths. This is plugging something else. It's plugging the night Schedule Healing, which happens down at the Bill Murray Pub in Angel. It's run by Natalie and Louise Taylor. Um, And it'll be happening tomorrow, I think, if this is going out on Monday. It's the 28th, uh, Tuesday the 28th. And it's a fantastic lineup this month. Let me just read you the lineup that's a coming. We've got the likes of Ben Target, Short and Curly, Christopher Bliss, Lola and Joe. And headlining, we have Late Night Gimpfire. What a treat that's going to be. And it's all compared by uh, Barry Ferns who's an excellent MC, and we play videos as well. There's some videos from us guys, Selvin Differ. Uh, there's a video by Tim Key. This It's just a wonderful night of sketch comedy. So if you like sketch comedy, get yourself down. Also, on the 6th of January, I will be performing at the Camden Head on May Martin's night. Um, I should be doing a little, a little set there. So if you want to come and see me live, it's the first bit of stand-up I've done in a while, so I'll probably be terrified. But uh, get on down and watch me fail at that if you like, if you get a kick out of that sort of stuff. Anywho, that's the plugging over and done with. This, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everything in between, is my chat with Marek Larwood. Well, people always say, you know, oh, what's your spin on the podcast? You know, what's what's your wacky thing that you do? And I, and I go, why do I have to come up with some wacky zany idea what people don't know is that you you black up before doing the podcast i think that's enough is it not yeah and just see what the reaction is well the weird thing is is not one single guest has mentioned it yet no people i mean people don't do that well you're that polite don't you yeah you just think oh well well, okay that's his i'm surprised you think (laughs) i'm surprised that you went it's it's indoors so i mean in privacy your own home so i mean does that how does that count i mean people do People say stuff in their own rooms. They don't necessarily stay on the streets. 
probably does that. I mean, I'm impressed he's got none, none on his collar at all. It's the <laughs> it's it's the privacy of your home, yeah. which, which is more strange for me to kind of go. Well, I'm in the privacy of your home, so <laughs> you only feel safe in the privacy of other people's homes. That must be a disorder. Now I'm what we're drinking tea. We started the podcast. Yeah, it's recorded now. Just just left it going. We're drinking tea, and I'm really paranoid about. I listened to a podcast and someone was on it and they're eating and it was disgusting. You could hear him doing this. Was it the... Do you want to mention any names? No, I can't really. I'll mention the names. You can mention but the names. But could I mention the podcast? Was it on Stuart Goldsmith's podcast? Yes. Mm. You probably heard the same one. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. I nearly sent in a complaint. I've only listened to that podcast. Um, I'll talk about this because I'm worried this is going to be like Comedians Comedians podcast. Mm. I hate that podcast. Yeah. Because everyone's... The problem is... Well, I'm saying yes. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of the You'd podcast. like it? Uh, I've not listened to it for a while now, but I uh, I think Stuart's a, a good um, interviewer. He's a very good interviewer, but I just worry... I worry, I worry, Matthew, when doing this. It's just talking... I worry about talking... You're talking about the mechanics of comedy. Well, not necessarily. But I, I, I'm not going to do that. No, that's good then. Because you know when you go, what put me off doing live comedy was being in the car, doing gigs, and you have to drive to all these places. So you start out, and you have to drive to gigs and get lifts with the comedians. I just listen to comedians talking in cars. Mm. I mean, what's his name did that thing about comedians in the car, when he was in cars getting coffee. Yeah. It's not like that, it's just people bitching and saying he was a prick and all that stuff. It seems very bitter. That side of things with a lot of maybe it's just bit. I'm I'm definitely well. Bit. I suppose you're bitter now. Oh, aren't you? Yeah, really. Bitter. What's so? The, I mean, this is here we go. Well, this <laughs> no, no. I think here we go. He's easing into this. It now. Is not the mechanics of it. I think He's, he has Matthew has put. Can I, do you like being called Matthew or not? Call me what you want. Man. It was he, he put his hands in a sort of in a motion that he was going to ask a question. <laughs> well, because I'm curious as to because you you did do a lot of stand up and. You had you had a lot of fans while you're doing your stand up, and you seem to be pretty good at doing stand up. And then you don't perform anymore, and I, I think there's no problem with that. But I would love to know what this is. What I think people, uh, the message I would like to communicate to people is that I think there are a lot of creative people, and they say to you when you do something, they go, "Oh, I could never. T- I don't know how you do. I don't know how you get up on stage. I don't know how you. Mm. I couldn't do that. I mean, it's the worst thing in the world. It's normally at weddings when some prick tells you that, that you're a comedian, and you have, have those shit conversations with people. Yeah. Do you ever get people shout out stuff? Oh God. And you do, you've had that conversation so many times, you say it in a really tired way, like, no, you don't get this, you don't think. Well, he wasn't, I spoke to that ball bloke, and he, he wasn't wasn't funny at all. <laughs> he was quite, quite the opposite. So I think you can be, it's taken me about 20 years to work this out, you can be creative and want to make things and not have to be on stage and do it. But I think going through it, going through it, when you start out, you think, "Oh, I want to make comedy. I want to do that." The logical progression is to go, "Oh, you have to do stand. You know, that's the way you do it. But you do stand up, and then you do sketch shows, and then you're on. St- and then I did it for about seven or eight years, and then you're on stage, and then I just was thinking every day, "Oh, oh I hate, I hate it. 
by the nerves. I mean, what do you, how do you feel about the nerves? It's you talked before, but you doing the difference between doing stand up and sketch stuff and the nerves. Yeah, the the stand up, it's horrible from the little amount that I've done. I, I never enjoy the the pre bit. Yeah, but it, the buzz, if like having a good gig or just having people respond to your material well, that kind of high getting off the stage. I, I really enjoyed that buzz. Do you like people? Selective. I think the real test is where you get a cross-section of society. Go to an airport. Go to an airport and ask people if they like people. That's where you see. You know when you see, watching TV and you think, the programme and you think, this is shit. This is shit. And who is watching Hmm. Who is watching this? Who allows these people to have a career? And then you go to an airport and you go, oh, right. I, yeah. Now I understand. Oh, I see, like a congregation of all the worst people in the world. Well, it's, it, the problem is, as you get older, you just surround yourself, I'm going off on so many tangents here, by people who are interested in the same things and that you like. So you gradually lose touch with with yeah. the, the masses because you think oh I don't want to have to get on public transport because it's horrible I don't want to go on holiday to Benidorm because that's not where I'm going to go on holiday where similar people are I'm yeah. going to hang out with my friends I'm not going to go to so and so's wedding because for example like a stag do you know where I I got you get, get invited people get married and, I, and there's a round robin emails and I'm supposed to go to my mate's stag do and they start sending through these emails to people I didn't know and I thought these people are mm. fucking bellets. Just full of banter. Yeah, so, um, uh, listen, uh, I've got a part in a made-up play, so I can't make it stagged. <laughs> I'm really sorry, I won't be able to, I won't be able to spend a, a weekend yeah. in a shack with some people who are literally going to get hammered as soon as they, and talk about football as soon as they, they arrive. Yeah. I think in answer to your question there, actually, yes, I do like people, I like the people that I've selected to be in my circle. You know, mm-hmm. Not that I've chosen them to be in my circle, but the ones that I enjoy being around. But yeah, when it comes to going to the cinema, public transport, um, just horrible, horrible. And I think they're the worst, you know, queuing at an ATM machine. Mm. I had, um, I used to hate going to the cinema as a kid. You know, that like early teens where you you wanted to go and watch films, you want to hang out with your mates. Pube time. Pube time, yeah, yeah. All about the, when the pubes have come in. And, and, and yourself on some occasions. But I'd gone to the cinema to watch Anger Management with uh, Jack Nicholson and uh, uh, who else is in? Oh, um, Adam Sandler. Have you seen that film? I think I may have seen... It's one of the ones where you, it's on ITV for a bit and you go, yeah, uh, yeah I'll, watch it to the next, I'll watch it till Antiques Road Trip comes on. But we went to this particular cinema that I always found risky, you know, because a, a Saturday as well, you've got all the teenage knobheads going as well and we went into this screening and we could hear these guys at the back chatting away and they were throwing stuff and then a group of girls walked in and one of them just went more victims for the minstrel man and he was throwing minstrels at people that were silenced oh my god which i thought at the time that is quite a funny thing to say but also fuck off i just want to watch your film yeah so i do genuinely hate people but do you do you hate other comedians? No, I just think there's something... Uh, I think there's something really weird about it, trying to get to grips with it. Um, I think there's something weird about 
I just stand up, I did more of a character thing, and I see people, I think it's a really dangerous road to go down when there's no difference between the stand-up and the person themselves. So they say, eh, when it's a say, oh, it's me times 12 on stage. I think if it's any part of you going on stage and it's warped and it's like it warps and changes people. Mm. And there's a weird thing I... Because I've seen so much comedy, my tastes have changed and warped. But I sort of see the person on stage when they're getting laughs and when people enjoy it on stage. I imagine them sort of just as if they're... <laughs> Rolling it, if it's the laughs of people's saliva and the comedians there sort of rolling it, rubbing it really grotesquely yeah. all over their body. There's something odd about it. There's something odd about that exchange and that, uh, that it's seeking, um, it definitely is seeking some sort of, uh, what's it called? What's the word? Acceptance, I suppose. Isn't yeah, it? and being and that and I hate and I'm, I have got that bit you seek seek acceptance from others so I sort of make I enjoy making YouTube videos and things like that now and you, and when people uh, when people approve of it and accept it you do feel pleased and I really hate that part of, of me I really wish I think I I think I've got as I've got older I've got better at this that it would just be enough for me to go oh I think that's good and not give a shit and I think I'm definitely more like that now not give a shit about what other people think and not do so many things to people's tastes. So what what do you think you were getting out of it? You what do you think you were getting out of it the most then? You well, think you think you did have that? I think I've cha- I think you change. I think definitely you change. There was a point where you look at the audiences and they're, they're doing some stuff and you think, oh, I don't want to make you. I don't want. I don't really care if I make you laugh. Mm. I've got no interest. <laughs> Yeah, some weird sort of prostitution type thing. I'm not your mate. I don't want to make. I don't want to. I think I don't have to be liked by people now. Mm. I don't. I definitely in my twenties was wanting to be funny and wanting to be appreciated by people, and now I I'm literally the opposite way round. I think I just I'll hold back and then wait. <laughs> wait work out who the people to sound are, then just work out if I like them or not by just occasionally saying something that's maybe that I think is funny or quite dark and then see if they say something similar. What were you like at school? I was blind. Yes, you were blind. You suffered quite heavily, didn't you, from blindness? No, I were. <laughs> my question, uh, I realise that's, that's quite a vague question. You know, you get a lot of these people that are like, oh yeah, he was always the class clown, etc. and all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to see at what angle you came into comedy because you've done... Like you say, you do more. You did more of a character. Yeah. Exactly. You did. You formulate this character in in your school years. This kind of wild man of. No, not really. I think I was just a bit. What was I like at school? It's really hard. Ask. You almost want to ask people who knew me at school. They'll give you the impression of. I sort of hung out in the circles of not the cool people. Cause I went to school in the Isle of Wight, and it was sort of surfer cool people. Was I was just accepted by them, mm. slightly weird, in the sort of weird, my my school and in this sort of quite academic weird but not geeky lot. Does that explain it? Yeah, no, I think I think I had a similar. In terms of how I got to my what character I was doing, I so I just did one. When you start out doing comedy, you basically do these competitions. This is two thousand two, two thousand three, and. It was a bit. The scene was less crowded then, 
and there wasn't the good looking comedian didn't exist it was more sort of odd stuff and you'd the way to progress was you do five minute slots in pubs and you do competitions and you go along to these things and people will be telling stories in these five minute slots and I think why are you telling a story for when you've got you're doing one joke in five minutes so I said one liners and then you just go well I'm, I'm telling you know shit loads yeah so in quick one liners it's just logic and then I perform it as a bit of a slightly weird animated thing and then I did that went on the circuit couldn't really do 20 never really had a successful 20 minutes and then I did a gig at a new material night where someone was doing their first ever gig at and a group when the very few times people get heckled when these rugby lads sort of came in and everyone and they were just like yeah so tell you what Barry's got to get a comedy and and, uh, see what they think they're they're funny these aren't they and all the comedians everyone dying until one bloke came on doing his first ever gig and I always think of all the comedians who could have been brilliant but just did their first ever gig at a really shit venue and it totally scarred them because I did a gig when I was 21 years old and it was at a proper comedy club and I was in with these sort of people older than me and they're all assholes. and I in retrospect I did fine for 10 minutes but not brilliant oh you we weren't as good as a proper paid comedian so I didn't do it for five years it scarred me so much anyway this kid came on who wasn't a kid and he just it was the worst gig to do your first gig to you know it, was, it wasn't ever and he was really nervous it like someone who just you know had a breakdown and thought well I'm, I'm just give I'm, I'm always left me but I, I'll just give this comedy a go Steve see if I can make some new friends Is this, was this not him <laughs> on stage no no oh, it okay. just <laughs> went on he didn't speak to anyone and he just thought he said it was his first ever gig really quiet and it was just awful oh. just not forgetting the li- struggling to say your lines not saying anything funny um, half looking at sort of notes he's written on his hand but what was fascinating was it was the first time that room was quiet it was the first time it was this hush descended so, so when people achieve something it now. was incredible because it was this sort of these lads going fucking and everyone just going <gasps> so it felt much more it sort of accentuated the whole thing and I thought there's something in this there's something in this so I just stopped my old dropped my old act and did a bloke doing his I got asked to be introduced as a bloke doing his first ever gig and it gradually transpired that he was a sex offender <laughs> but I loved Oh, I really loved it's the first five minutes of Saturday going and go oh, I think I can I think I can really and people would just be going especially it's about time going is this his first oh my god and they would just had their heads in their hands as oh, me right. just so got, for a while they were, they were yeah for the first couple minutes and I'd say I was from a group called Reach Out But Don't Touch and stuff like that yeah. and just all oh, 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 things and if I got it perfectly my biggest compliment someone gave me was a bloke went um I teach uh, autistic adults, and I thought you're as a bloke on my <laughs> on my course is exactly like you. And I thought, yes, that's exactly what. I'm not saying are you mock. Yeah, I am saying that. I'm saying that. Yeah, I successfully, well, yeah, but accidentally in a, in a way. Yeah. Although, yeah. I'm saying I could have been Rain Man too. 121 matches. What a sequel. Yeah. Who would you cast in, in Rain Man if it wasn't Tom Cruise and um, Dustin Hoffman? Me? 
as Rayman. Yeah. Okay. And in the light of recent events, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> but I, only now. I, I honestly hope that I, film is never made. <laughs> I think you could get him really cheap. Now's yeah. the time to get get Kevin Spacey in, mate. Yeah, I mean, because he's a talented actor. He's brilliant. Yeah. Tw- and what, 30 quid? Do you know what's weird? I, I Netflixed his name the other day mm-hmm. just to see what kind of devastation it had last. Yeah. Uh, uh, the effect it had on it. And I think one of the <laughs> the only film that came up was that Nine Lives. One of the worst films. I couldn't, that was one I couldn't actually finish. Yeah. Uh, have you seen that where he's a cat who plays... I haven't seen that. He gets, he gets uh, somehow sucked into a cat and as the voice of the cat's mind. That sounds pretty good. I mean, this is of recent times as well, so I don't know if he had like some kind of bad debt deal that he needed to pay, but... Yeah. Or, or, or he probably owed something to Netflix because of all the... Apparently they only... They, they started doing that House of Cards because Kevin Spacey was the most searched name on Netflix. Really? This is what I heard. Start typing your name in, mate. Whether it's BS. Yes. Every day. Matt's going to Matt's going to Every computer, Matt's going Listen, um, hi, Matt. That's really odd, but uh, Netflix... <laughs> Netflix want to give you your own show. What? <laughs> House of Cards. Yeah, Marek's doing one. He's Rain Man 2. <laughs> Spacey's in it. Because Spacey in LA Confidential, he played the bloke who set the bloke up, didn't he? For mm. the sex... Uh, he framed that guy... Um, that young guy with a with a, he was a guy who used to be the vice set of people with prostitutes and stuff like that. Yeah. So inadvertently, he's playing that his alter ego in real life. What does that mean? He's kind of admitted it to a degree. So you did your stand up, and you you were doing your five minutes and your competitions, and then was it kind of word of mouth? Did, you, did were people starting to come and see you at that point? Um, this is you do your stand up, and then you do the competitions, and then age, and you get if you're starting out in comedy. This is, I don't know what it's like now, but the key... You just get to a final of these... Comp- no one ever comes to watch these crappy gigs unless it's a final of a new talent act. Mm. So you get to the final of a new talent thing. It's the same people each year. So, you know, Rod Gilbert, Greg Davis, Tom Rigglesworth, sort of Matt Kershaw. It was just all of us, basically, would generally get to the finals and agents would come along and they'd sign you up. So I signed with um, an agency... And then they went on some crappy university tours doing gigs. I used to just support Russell Howard. So I would do... Did you do Lincoln? I think I did do Lincoln, yeah. I think I probably died in my arse at Lincoln. I did generally did pretty badly. Uh, 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 that would have been about... When were you at Lincoln? 2004, 5? 2005... 2000... I think the end of 2005, 2006, Yeah, that was the sort of time I did Lincoln. It's when Russell Howard was comparing a lot down there. was getting... We, we, we were loving I, I was loving Russell Howard at that point he was brilliant he was he was it's really odd seeing him on TV and then seeing and then because a lot of people do sort of think a lot of comedians do sort of slag him off I think but having a gig with him he's just incredible and brilliant on stage and just do two hours really talented well that's nice to hear yeah very nice man as well a positive <laughs> well, you, you worked a lot with Greg Davis. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in real life. Mm. Where did you just met him from the, on the scene? Yeah, it was me, uh, Greg, and Steve. I want to do. I am talking about all this comedy stuff now. The comedy um, stuff. No, you don't. I mean, sorry. Uh, I want to. I want to do sketch. I got into it because what's really hard is trying to. Because this is this is about getting into the industry. How you work in the industry and in its podcast. It's really hard trying to f- get work out 
what you want to do and how to get there. Well, actually, to be fair, what were you while this was going on? I'm presuming you had a day job. Yeah. Would you mind saying that where that was? It was. Um, you know, I got. Uh, it was. I used to do different jobs. <laughs> it sounds really. You said it in a way, so I'm really worried he was. Well, I'm, he looks like the sort of guy who was sucking yes. off old men. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking that's how he's paying his rent. Because no, part of the thing that I, I want to talk about with this podcast is like trying to pursue something that you're interested in, but you know has could have potentially very little reward. Yeah. So there must have been enough for you. Must have been getting enough enjoyment out of it to be to be doing that as well as trying to support yourself. I was really determined to do it. I, I was gigging literally. I found an old diary where I was gigging every night during the week and I was working the d- during the day. Um, so I was doing a lot of different jobs. So I did rewriting, like a course of telex monitoring where you rewrite news stories. Teletex? Not teletex, it's similar to that. So it's, they re- you rewrite all the news stories, you type them up so there's a transcript, a rough transcript of it. So say I'm the bloke from an oil company and I want to find out all the oil-based stories. And you go phone up this company going, yeah, um, every time oil's been mentioned, or every time, or say you're a virgin, um, and, and Richard Branson wants to know when anything about trains, anything about planes, anything, a mention of his name, because we've mentioned trains in capital letters, you know, every time I mention, so news stories, if there's a train crash, or in business things, you do that, and then you find out, and they buy the story. So you sit there, listen to... Sort of how's the Parliament Channel today, the mm. Today programme, and just sit there typing for about eight hours. Wow. And then I do teaching as a foreign language as well, sometimes in the afternoons in different shifts, both of those. Then I go and do gigs in the evening. I, was, I remember just being so tired, or exhausted all the time, just doing these gigs and coming back. And I wrote a letter to myself once on a night bus. You get, dro- you get dropped off in Trafalgar Square after a gig somewhere up north at four o'clock in the morning, get a night bus home, thinking, don't ever. Don't ever do this. I literally finished work one day, went rushed to King's Cross, got the train to, to Edinburgh to do a gig at the university, died in my hole, got a train, a sleeper train back, went straight to work the next day. Shit. For 75 quid for the gig, when the train cost, I mean, like 73 quid. We were doing, we did Loughborough University, we did as, as uh, I was in a sketch show called We Are Clang, um, for an age called Avalon, who I don't have many good things to say about. And um, I've heard, I've heard some and we worked out we were doing this gig, and we were staying. We were sharing a bed or something, so like a massive. Uh, and we were losing one pound fifty each to do a gig at Loughborough <laughs> University to travel all the way there for minus one pound fifty to do three stand-up sets and a sketch show. Almost, it probably almost be better if it, if it was costing you more. Do you know what I mean? So there's yeah. more to it. I think the fact that just one pound fifty is more upsetting. Yeah, one pound fifty. You just sit there. But this is playing. You did you have fun in that as a um, sketch group? As so you, Greg Davis, and Steve and, Hall with three of us. And, uh, and Steve. Yeah. Um, well, because you you're in a sketch, weren't you? I think you're you were friends before you started doing the sketch group thing. Mm. I think we were always stand ups, and we got into it. I remember the first. I didn't say, oh, I said, I want to do a sketch group. Went, no, don't do that. It's concentrating on stand-up. And then as soon as it goes well, they change their tune. Literally, never listen to anyone in comedy. Always, this is my key lesson, never listen to anyone. Always trust your gut instinct and make stuff yourself. Don't listen to shit people who get into comedy, who's my bugbear, who aren't funny, 
who like getting in the world of comedy yeah. and clog that industry up with shit advice <laughs> and are. making money and telling people what they should do creatively when what's funny now is uh, going off on a tangent again is you see people in really high positions of comedy who were really shit stand-ups 20 years ago you know when I was starting or 15 years ago oh right they're the um, they're the uh, head of commissioning at so and so they were on the circuit as a shit stand up and now they're giving people it's like it's like watching you someone at a gig who's really shit going on 15 years time he is going to be telling you how to write stuff yeah. and be on five times your salary and being charged is absolutely it was, mental it was better having David Attenborough I think up as yeah commissioner yeah he commissioned the Pythons didn't he did he <clears throat> but I think it was different then because I think people I got the impression that people were left alone throwing devices the stuff I've seen about Monty Python was they go here's the, here's the money you go off and make that stuff rather now you've got a, a lot of people to get through mm. to make it anything and there's a lot there I mean you've probably had the same I don't know what your experience is but you said you were there was interest from the channel with you yeah yeah we had um, oh it was a long old tale of in short yeah the BBC were interested in as the head of BBC comedy was kind of like these guys should get the show should get our show and it was Bob Mortimer that had seen our original yeah Don't Say Boba pilot and he was interested in developing it and then Robert Popper was also just really liked the idea and we got Robert Popper and Bob Mortimer kind of agreed to be script editors on the show if we were to get it commissioned with the BBC and then yeah, they didn't want to make the show. What I like about your stuff is what is you just go. Who is it? It's telling me my my, my mate is making some stuff on YouTube, and I said, "Why don't you send off to festivals and stuff? Why don't you do that?" He told me this weird parable, which I'm going to get wrong, mm. about uh, uh, a Mexican or something fisherman out on his little boat in the sea fishing, and then this um, big fishing company exec comes along, and goes, "Right, you could." Um, you can make a lot of money out of this. First of all, you will help you out and you get a bigger boat and you'll get more fish and then you can um, we'll get distributors in. So we'll start getting those in to send you out to different places, get you to, you know, market your fish different through different markets. So that will get you a proper, proper factory, uh, get more boats so you can have a big fleet out on the sea. You'll be working, getting, you make millions and millions. And, um, and at the end of it, uh, you could, you know, 50 years time, you could do whatever you wanted. And he asked, what, what would that be? He said, I'll probably just get a nice small boat, go out and go fishing by myself every day. <laughs> I've told that really badly, but the point is, I think when you, uh, this is what I, re- so I've been listening to your podcasts and listen to people talk about going on different journeys and I think, uh, and their experience of it. And because I've been really lucky that I was in a sketch group, we got to make our own TV programme mm-hmm. and then we went through all that process of it. And it seems uh, so. I'm one of the really lucky people who's oh, that's the dream, and I sort of managed to achieve that dream. Yeah. And then when you do it, you think, oh, that's not, that's not actually. Where did you feel like you were completely taken over by people around you? I thought we we. I think it's really hard in the industry when you don't make stuff yourself and you get people involved. Everyone's got a voice, and you're so fresh and you don't have that much experience of making things you do pay you do take notes from people 
Mm. When we did Clang, I remember saying to one of the producers in charge, I think this is too, I'm worried this is too kidsy. And we did have a whole problem where um, it was the same time as Russell Brown and Jonathan Ross did their phone call. And the exec would come down and say, that's got to go, that's got to go, that's got to go. So our live show was really rude and chaotic and it was really watered down. And then we went to see the commission to talk about another series when it was too much like a kid's show. And you think, fuck, man. But my experience was you just have a lot of different voices and a lot of people telling you what will work and this needs to be, this needs to be that. And then you forget that. Hang on a minute. Wasn't this funny when it was just three blokes making each other laugh mm. and it, it was funny because we were laughing on stage and that was really uh, it, contagious and that fun and anarchy was, came from that and suddenly you've got people going yeah I think the costume should be this I think this should be that and I think mm, this isn't really what, what we wanted I mean that's not the sh- sh- I, look, I don't really watch it I, as soon as I watch something I think I'm done with it but I did watch um, another show and I thought, oh, God, that was shit. Was I was that bad? And I watched it back and thought, oh, some bits were bad, some bits were... It was an all right show, I think. Some bits were good, but some bits were bad. But the experience was not the experience I thought it would be. So when I think about you lot making your own stuff, you're doing your Kickstarter thing, aren't you? Yeah. Don't say probably, yeah. And that, and have you enjoyed doing that, like being in total control of it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's been a, probably one of the best bits. I mean... You know, up until we would like to distribute and make, not so much distribute, but get a series, but we're very aware. The one thing, exactly what you're saying, we, we want to keep that creative control. And it's thing, one thing that uh, Mortimer said was just be very careful of that because you can be screwed over. And that's, I think, the last thing that we want. So we're keeping it very close to us for now and just being very wary of what people want to do. Yeah, so. absolutely. And what's the problem? The problem is, if you're successful, I think you've got to be a businessman as well as uh, a creative. And a lot of creative people aren't haven't got that business side, or aren't good at just saying, oh, actually, or, or putting their foot down and be an arsehole. Because it's really hard to be an arsehole when everyone's being really nice to you and blowing smoke up your ass and saying, "Great." It's difficult to say, "No, this is wrong." Because mm. if you're not used to that, it's not in your personality to go not having this you're fired I'm just doing Adam Sugar <laughs> yeah yeah no, but it's that is so important to think actually I've got to protect my ideas rather than be nice because if you make something that's shit and your name's on it no one's gonna the producers go and work again the directors go and work again mm. the costume people work again but you're the one who's like oh did you see American um, uh, Mr. Dogshit yeah <laughs> Yeah, it was really I bad. You, I thought you were going to say Rayman too. But, oh, wait, I mean, that is a good idea. But, but Mr. Dogshit, uh, can, can you pitch that to me, please? Because that does sound like a great idea, to be fair. Um, it's a guy, um, he steps in some dog shit. Mm. At the same time, um, he, pick, he picks it up to scrape it up and there's a torrential rain blast and the dog shit, you know, a bit like... Um, 28 days later when the blood gets in the eye yeah the dog shit goes into his eye <laughs> right yeah is, it from, it, is the dog uh, particularly special that the shit's from what do you mean like, sort of, what do you mean by special like a vampire dog oh not sort of do you know what I mean oh not like learning difficulties now no the, the dog has got learning difficulties okay so the dog's got learning difficulties <laughs> and he's but the dog's not there he's took a shit and he's wandered off yeah we never see the dog and this person I presume would be played by uh, 
you, of course. Yeah, 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 Mr. Dogshit. Why, why are you picking the dog shit up again at, to that angle? It, no, it, it's on his shoe. He stepped on the dog shit. Right. I mean, to be fair, I'm just making this up to you. You are, but it, these are good questions. No, I presumed you were making it up. And I just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it. Ah, now that would be a good time to pitch this Mr. Dogshit. Well, I'll just give it a go and see what map you think. I'll just put it out there and see what he thinks of it. I mean, this uh, Because now I, I want to know the rest of what, well, every, what everyone does. They're all going, yeah, so he gets this dog shit in his eye. It's just a dog. He's he just, he on his shoe. He's trying to knock it off. Why is it not coming off my shoe? Mm. It's a millisecond. And you just go, what? And maybe maybe there's a tree so it's a bit of a shade. Just yeah. lifts it up slightly. To the light. <laughs> Maybe it's a thunderous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then, and then, hey, Mr. Dog shit. <laughs> He's got that. <laughs> He's got that voice. And what kind of special powers would you have then? Uh, make it, everyone instantly pukes. <laughs> <laughs> when he gets within five yards of people, they instantly puke, projectile vomit. Right, <laughs> uh, right. I not much happens other than just him walking around. <laughs> <laughs> and he he accidentally oh. goes to a football stadium, yeah, or an, someone an underground basically, and everyone drowns and puke because there's so many people puking. He can't get if he's in a really populous area. He just wants to make friends, and he that's what happens. He goes to a fundraiser for all sort of uh, children with disabilities mm. and people, and to make money. Uh, he pukes and he, kill, he kills all of them. The were his own nightmare. Because of the... He sets up... A, a bit like in um, Stand By Me when they start doing the puking thing. Yeah. But more. So th- and then the actual... It's underground. I don't know why it's underground and there's no escape. There's no, no escape facilities. And well, you know, you want to heed your own advice here and make sure that you keep all creative control over that idea because as soon as the BBC get hold of that, they're going to want... They want. We said dog shit two. We said dog shit three. You're gonna want glitter. Yeah. Glitter. Oh no, you can't. We can't use the word shit, so it's gonna have to be. Oh, it'll be something else. It's a dog poo, and then it's just a wacky guy oh, walking yeah. around the park with big shoes on. And there's no shit allowed in it. It's just a guy. Yeah, it's some no shit. some reason he's he's killed lots of. <laughs> you can kill all the children, but you can't. <laughs> Only. Only kids can smell the shit, and it's only kids that throw. Oh it. yeah, that's a bit like Roald Dahl, isn't it? Something Put like some that. limits on it. No, Roald Dahl should come up with something. Quentin, Quentin Blake would have fun. Uh, oh, he would love doing that. Doing that, wouldn't he? Guys, so, it's as soon as you come up with an idea. There's always that's it. So many questions, so many holes in every idea you have to address. But I think from that, it, it is important to keep that integrity in that. Um, that's that's the one thing that I really hope that we. Stick to his guns on. And I know you've got to compromise to a degree, but I'd hate to... Because it's like you said, it's a sadness if you've been friends with people and you, you make something together and then halfway through you think, this isn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. A bit like extra, uh, Extras Series 2 when he kind of gets his show off the ground. It's, oh, yeah, I didn't really want... Yeah. It's, it's a sad... It's a sad... But I think it happens a lot. I think it happens a lot of things get watered down. That's why I really love you. I mean, I can't understand because I sort of met you through finding your YouTube channel and there's another group called Broken Toaster as well which you should watch their stuff. It's really funny. And I think YouTube's a brilliant thing and I don't understand why comedians haven't just gone, right, let's all get on board this stuff and bypass 
the other lot and just make stuff ourselves. I know the expense of it, but comedians aren't supportive. That really pisses me off. They're not supportive of each other in terms of there's all this sort of camaraderie and mates and stuff, but no one ever. There's a few people, but I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I know of people that I think are a bit very, you know, concentrate on their own stuff and not too bothered about what who, I think. Who's that? Who, who's that then? Do you know, <clears throat> there's just so many names that I can't mention right no, now. Go on, but, go on. But there's. <laughs> That's, that's not my, my that's not my key point yeah but people, the, look, people want to hear that the, stuff though, don't they? The, the key point <laughs> people want to hear that stuff <laughs> the key point here in this night is the people that are um, supportive and that do share the similar kind of love that you have for stuff and I interviewed for example Ben Sarger on one of the first podcast I think he's one of them guys that genuinely has a love for the for the shtick and he will support and he's been very supportive towards us yeah and you were very kindly put well, I don't, I've done one tweet yeah but just that one tweet was enough to go oh that's cool that you know at least it, it's I was going to say it's, 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 it means it's worth making not just for you specifically but little stuff like that it is nice to hear hang on <laughs> have you been making your internet stuff specifically for me as a way of like, one day I will get round his house. <laughs> One, listen, boys. I, I this is a first, this is the first step in the door. I'm going to get round it. Do you want to? I was watching uh, an episode of Impractical Jokers, and I, I know you don't like to talk about comedy. Um, <laughs> but the, the whole the whole guy brush on. I went in that prick's house. The first thing he did is, uh, you want to talk about comedy? Oh, you listen to the podcast, mate. That's what. <laughs> It's about creative people, okay? <laughs> I've done musicians, I've done a cabaret guy. Um, and, I, and I saw you stealing food from another person's plate in one of the pranks from uh, Practical Jokers, and I thought, yes. I want to make comedy for that guy. Oh, the, the, me? Yeah. That's good. Specific comedy. It seems very stressful on that show. I, I, I was saying to you earlier that... So you went for the... You went for the um, because they recast it for... Uh, it's in Practical Jokers is a show which is originally an American show mm. which what happened was they bought the format over they sold the format to different countries and they got four people in and they did they did two pilots for I was in the British version but they did two pilots for it and then we it's basically this game this sort of structure games and we can make up some of our own games as well and then we had to sort of provide all the lines for it um, but you went for a Audition for how was that? I'm fascinated. It was Audition the, for the next series. It was the Paramount. Oh, Comedy Central, yeah. Comedy Comedy Central, yeah. And they, uh, uh, but yeah, it's not. We don't do that kind of stuff. And I imagine you probably didn't before. <laughs> Why would you? But yeah, I didn't particularly enjoy the experience. We went out onto the street. So the concept of the show, if you've not seen it before, is that one person goes in, goes public with an earpiece in and, and a few of their mates tell them what to do or say to yeah, unsuspecting yeah. people in the public. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I we, had, we went out to the street and we had to hold a clipboard and it was like, oh, can I ask you a few questions? And some of the horrible questions. Yeah, and it's, yeah, you start asking them about their pets and then someone else in the earpiece is going, to ask them if you stroke, if they stroke the cat. And yeah, I did not enjoy it. It's really, uh, I am able to do that because I'm able to shut off completely. From that, and not care. I think if you're doing, that's the one good skill that stand-up teaches you, is that if you've been on a circuit and you have stood up in front of people 
for hundreds and hundreds of times that thick-skinned approach where you don't mind just saying something horrific. Mm. But it's what I, or I, the way I handled it was you just attach yourself. I think if it's a way of, if you're, like when people say you're playing a part, it's easy if you pretend to be someone else. Also, I would liken it to long journeys. So say you're on a long haul flight and you think, fuck, this is going to be horrific. You know, 12 hours on a plane sitting next to some complete stranger and then falling asleep. And it really, mm. and, you're, and you're actually on a plane flying and then in the back of your mind thinking, is this going to, you know, all that in a queue, all it's horrible. Yeah. You sort of shut down part of your brain, I think, to go, I'm going to go into sleep mode and just sort of do this and be as a little a little part of awareness of this thing. I found myself in practice to do that and just shut down into this mode. And there's something quite weird of just being detaching it from yourself. Yeah. Imagine that's what psychopaths do. Yeah, sociopaths, psychopaths. <laughs> I imagine there's some element probably there. is a bit of like that. But it was um, working well under pressure. Yeah, but it, what was um, it, the way I did it was people would think what's interesting about practical joke is a social experiment was you get instant first impressions. Instant. There's not very often, in, as you get older in life, you're able to see someone react to you instantly, not in a workplace, you know, to have a <laughs> yeah. totally instant first impression. And they're all completely different. So I did a show with three other people, Joel Domit, who is famous now from I'm a Celebrity, who's a very good-looking, sort of pretty boy. Uh, Roisin Connerty, who sort of looks... I think she, was, she looked odd because she was in Glasgow, but quite glammed up. So, I mean, some people did think she was a prostitute at times. Right. And Paul McCaffrey. And Paul is just literally your standard every man. You know, he's a bloke. Oh, you want to have a pint with him, you want to be mates with him. Mm. And I, just a weirdo, basically. And I suppose I do look a bit odd if you see me for the first time. So the reactions were totally different. So people, Joel, either... If it was a younger girls, they go, who's this bloke? He's really good looking. He's, I don't mind talking to him. Mm. Men, like Glaswegian men, would think he was gay and coming on to me and he almost got hit two or three times. Actually, he almost got punched. Wow. Paul never had a problem with anyone. Everyone just warmed him. He's just him. a man of the people. Yeah, man. everyone just warmed him. Roisin, it was blokes who sort of fancy here or think what's going on here and it's just did for a girl. Me, people go, what, what the... <laughs> right, am I... They think, oh, is there something wrong with him? Am I in danger? And there's almost that thing where it gives you, it's, it's great in a way because you've got that sort of power over someone going, oh, do you, do you like crisps? And if you hold someone's gaze and you look at them and it's and the more they're nervous, the more I find myself, it's probably a sort of middle child, you know, bullying thing. You just, <laughs> you just go and you realise this person thinks, right, this person might k- kill me, but you just, you yeah, sort of be normal and weird. Did you think you were going to get hit at any point? No, I thought I would, but I th- what's off, what was odd is the, re- is the reaction to me was, that, oh, people just, I'd be sort of, nor people would think that he's, there's something mental with this bloke. And so I'd do that, I would foster that. that. So yeah, and you wouldn't ever, you see the programme, Practical Jokes, you hear all the um, ridiculous lines and you build up into it. When you're doing that with someone, it's quite a hard job because you've got to sort of, there's a, it was a really low budget, so there's hidden cameras, but there's only about two hidden cameras. So you have to sort of, sort of walk around to make sure that you're in shot mm. and they're in shot, which is whilst talking to someone, and you are you say normal questions. Like, oh, right, um, so you were, can I ask you a few questions. 
um, what's your name? What's your? You just do the normal stuff. So people go, this is normal. You don't just go, oh, how many fingers can you fit up a pig? Literally, <laughs> off the bat, because that is, you'd have to, yeah. and then you'd go, sort of, we're, we're weird, we're, normal, 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 slightly weird, normal, normal, bit weirder, straight back to normal, really, really weird, and then when you go full on, like, horrible, weird, you just do them, get them quick in, <laughs> while you can, and then that'll let it down to literally 30 seconds of stuff. Is that something you got used to as well, because... Just on the audition that I did, I, f- I found it really dis- like trying to continue a conversation with someone. It's really hard and be told what to say. It's like having your brain actually speaking out loud. You're definitely to used to it. So to explain to people, you, you, there's a, a microphone earpiece you put deep in your ear, and there's a tiny, thin antenna antennae on it that um, is the radio mic. So you can hear people talking to you, but it's so deep in your ear that, that a person can't hear it. And the very first time you do it, you think, oh, how am I ever going to do this? Because I'm constant. you've got to, people are talking to you and you have got to not react to what they're saying and hold a conversation and then people are feeling your lines. And it is a real skill to, mm-hmm. and sometimes they can't hear the lines properly. So you have to sort of rub your ear to get them to repeat stuff. Oh, okay. So it's, it's really um, an odd skill. You, uh, as far as I remember from what I watched when it was on, you always seemed to go the, the distance. Well, it was Paul and I, um, they, we just did do it. No matter what it was, we weren't bothered. There was no... So we they had to actually do stuff and we had to pretend we were awkward to lose tasks because we had no qualms about going, oh, right, do, just do... <laughs> I suppose once you've been warmed up, you just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, the worst thing I had to do was just sing at half-time at Leighton late Orient Football Club oh, to no. go on the middle of the pitch and get introduced um, to we're releasing my new... I mean, I can't sing anyway. My, my new single, I was going to sing at half-time. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even know what it was. And they, go, and they just say... And they, they go, it's, it's called... I mean, it was called Why I Hate Referees. So I just sit really half-time going... <laughs> And the worst thing was... So you had to improv that song. You improvise it in yeah. a half, in the centre circle. Oh, no. But the, but the most amazing thing was, is that the... I mean, I talked a lot about disabled people, this Yeah. Thing, but that section, they were so vitriolic. There was a lady in there in a wheelchair going... And I, come, I came off going, you fucking cunt! You're a fucking cunt! And literally screaming at me that I was a cunt. Just totally... Furious! Did you security on within your crew? Well, this was a terrible thing. It was <laughs> the security. There were basically a few current men, and John was got punched. And I said, "What happens if people go wrong?" Go, "Oh, don't worry, we'll be out there." And it was literally, I think it was because you said your girlfriend's um, uh, uh, sister worked on it, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just a lot of security. Was just sometimes like a twenty-year-old, twenty-two-year-old girl. That was supposed to be the person who's intervi- going to intervene. When okay, you, right. I mean, one, of, one of these types, ty- somebody's going to get killed by a mental person yeah. by saying something that absolutely f- flips someone who is mental. The trigger word. Yeah, that's going to happen. Because we, we were doing, um, I'm talking about practical jokes again, we'd, in the American version, they did a thing when they fell asleep on people in Central Park. So they would go and they would go and fall asleep during the office lunch hour. Blue chip companies, you know, people, respectable people in suits who look normal in the park. We had to film in Glasgow and they said, oh, can you go and fall asleep? Oh, on the seats that are outside 
Glasgow station. So, i.e., where the heroin addicts <laughs> and mental people go. At, this is a, in the morning, sort of like half nine. Ten, the only people there literally got a tenant source. <laughs> yeah, just going. For, I think that bloke and Joel almost got hit by falling. These people were just. It, it was horrific. No, and they were just going, just going, just go and do that. But it's work, isn't it? Working it. Mate. So you've got um, you've got a podcast at the moment. We've uh, just recorded it, haven't we? We've just Prior recorded. To this. I was a guest on your podcast. Thank you. Fla, flam. I was going to say flamingo then. Filming. Film Fandango. Film Fandango. Um, how long you been doing that for a while now? I, I mean, I don't really see it as anything. I'd, it's just a way of claiming back um, cinema tickets. Yes. As work. I mean, it's a brilliant um, device. And when I'm not working, I feel, well, yeah, I've got to do film for Dango today. Yeah. I.e. trying to justify to myself. <laughs> Why I can go. Uh, I've got to go to the cinema and eat some popcorn for this, uh, and then go around my mate's house and talk about it. That's what, yeah, it's a work, it's a work thing. And, and now, you, like with me, you're having to invite strangers uh, with you. To, to yeah, you, we to hadn't even met. We went to watch a film together. But pretty relaxed though. Yeah, we had. Uh, you know, I felt very comfortable straight away. Well, you can listen to that. You can you can judge for yourself and listen to it. I meant just meeting you for the first time. Oh, did you? Well, it didn't feel unusual. I, th- I think I don't know if that's just because of the world. The... I think there's comics though, and I think if you heard, if you've yeah. seen people and you've listened to people, you think, oh, that's just normal. I mean, normally I'm very unapproachable. <laughs> I mean, God, yeah, you're looking approachable for sure. Yeah, but uh, no, you were very approachable and uh, too too approachable. Too approachable, actually. I just <laughs> we'll talk about this off air. Oh but, God, uh, yeah, you will be. Uh, um, what? Um, yeah, what? Have you got anything else going on at the moment? Are you chilling out? What, no, what, what, I've what, just. What? I literally just finished doing last night. I was dressed. I had to shave my beard off and be. Um, uh, Gordon, who was Cardinal Wolsey's uh, henchman, who had a turkey on his arm in Tim Vine Travels Through Time Christmas Special. Oh, so I was filming that last night. And um, fun. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's really fun. It's just really old, stupid jokes. Just him doing gags. I'm a fan you know. of Tim Vine, man. I think he's one of them guys that. You can't not put on his show and not laugh at some point, you know what I mean? Yeah, stand it's, up. It's just so many jokes in there, and he's a really lovely bloke. And it just. And. Who would win in a fight between him and his brother, boxing match? I think Tim. Do you think? Tim versus Jeremy, if anyone can make this happen. Oh, that'd be great. And <laughs> you'd have, like, the eggheads egg, egg on, on in uh, Jeremy's corner. I watched eggheads actually a while before. Um, <laughs> I said to him we're in the change room because they normally record when they do studio sitcoms half audience comes about half seven till ten o'clock you do a pre-record thing so you're just sitting around eating some crap food in your dressing room mm. before and I was watching Eggheads and Jeremy Vine was on it and I said to I said to Tim I just, said, you're, just watched your brother and he goes, said on the Eggheads and he went oh you had to ruin it didn't you you had to ruin today <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's no sibling it was a joke no sibling rivalry <laughs> And um, you know what's coming, don't you? What? I've got to ask you. Volksball. <laughs> of course. My sport I invented. We won't talk about that. Can we just briefly... We've got, we've got to talk about this. I, yeah. I wanted to talk about this. I'm glad, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you reminded me, actually. 
Um, you invented a sport called Vossball. Is that Wolfsball. V O L F S ball. There's some cups on my mantelpiece for sport. <laughs> I basically invented a sport. I really like sports, and I'm really into American football and and baseball as well. I quite like all the sports. And I went to an American football match in London with my friend, and we were talking about merchandise and how there's loads of money to be made so I thought, said oh, I'm going to invent a sport we made we all the names ending in board have been taken so we well, my other mate said why, why don't you make him a name like Vulsball and that was £2.99 I bought the website for there and then oh sick and then I made it a three aside sport I told my dad about it the next day he went to B&Q that's telling me bought the prototype made it in the garden we played it at Christmas 2014 it worked he then, this is a very short version of the story, he then got someone he knew to make one out of metal and this guy slowly inflated the cost to £1,200. <laughs> <laughs> my dad then um, registered the idea without my permission and never cost a <laughs> I spent something like two, uh, approaching two and a half grand on it, full ball, and I do it now, a few comedians play. And a family, a sort of semi-religious family come along and they play his dad with his two kids and they win everything. And everyone's slightly pissed off with him and they come out and win everything. But I play, I do the stats. I literally spend a whole day doing the stats for it. So it's the, the most, because people say like this, I actually go and watch the, I video it and do the stats. <laughs> like it's a weird autistic child. Because everyone likes the stats of how many shots. There's this Volsball.com. Please come. Say, so you've got the web, you, you, this website actually exists, and you can go on there. Can people actually order the the physical? There's much. No, it's not been. There's only about three of them in existence because um, we haven't worked out a way of making it cheaply. And I said to my dad, "Listen, Dad, I've got no more money to put into this." <laughs> and I did try and sell merchandise. I've got some money back, but I don't have the money to pursue it. So it's currently on hold? No, it's still next season we'll play. We're still playing it. We're playing the play. field down the road. You're going to come with the Selden Diffelot and play? I, I would absolutely love to play a bit of old sport. Um, do you like sport? Do you do sport? I don't do it, mate. I like watching balls. Do you? Seriously. As in, oh, sorry, as in the proper, proper bowling? As in Terry Alcock? The one I'm when talking... He was French balls, or the, the hole down the green with down, the... Right down the green, mate. Chase it for a bit, and then stop, and then watch it. To get to the the jack, is it? Is it yeah, 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 lovely. Um, sorry, my stomach rumbling. Sorry about that. If he's picking up, Marek's hungry. Um, it relaxes me. Quite like watching snooker as well for the same reason. Yeah, really good. Snooker's great. Quiet voices, slow. And and it was invented in Sheffield. You know? Oh, was it? Well, I mean, that's where they play it, but uh, I don't think it was. Oh, the cruise boy, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know where it was. Uh, originally invented. They're your two sports: ball and snooker. <laughs> I enjoy watching football. As well, I got. You Wednesday, are you United. Well, this is the thing, mate. You know, people say you Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United. I say neither, mate. I'm a Palace fan, born and bred, <laughs> <laughs> and I stand by it. I don't care what people say. That's good. There's a lot of Palace fans in comedy. Yeah. yeah well, you've got, to, you've got to be able to take a joke. Yeah, yeah, Let me um, let me finish on my final question, um, Marek. You know. Oh God. Up until this point in your life... Oh, God. Up until this podcast... Yeah. Do you think, generally, you're proud of yourself? I heard you ask this one. Yeah. Good question. It's it's a... I know it, it's a bit of a bombshell to some people, but... I... 
The problem is, it's, it's, it's it, it, I think, it, when you're younger, you talk, think about your um, goals and aspirations. You think if you, you sort of think, oh, if I, oh, by this age, I'm going to do this, I'm going to have this, I'm going to achieve this. It's sort of like a box, you tick, ticking off boxes of what you've achieved. Perhaps, being proud of something is looking back at something saying that was a you know I'm I think that's great have I done my best thing, which in a way is you almost want to retire when you do that. Yeah, I was quite proud of when I did um, in terms of comedy. I'm mean, quite I think when we did a live show, our live show when we did We Are Clang, we were really good. I think yeah. we were brilliant, and I'm really uh, we were I think we were, we were really really funny and we did it in Edinburgh in that small room. Never translate properly to TV, but that was really good. And then since then, I have done nothing to warrant that. <laughs> I just think no. I think no. I think that's true. And, and and obviously, I'm in a sketch group, and we are playing. It's been a a big name in sketch comedy. I think I think you've maintained that as I think that you, the group yeah. has done very well. I mean, I yeah, I watch a lot of live stuff, and uh, I just think you know um, people talk people talk about puppies. Mm. I mean, I did. I did have beef with them. <laughs> had beef. Yeah, but I think they're really nice boys. But and I think they're funny. But I do. I'm quite happy to say that we shout all over them live. Sure. I think. But um, I think we're really, really funny because we've got three people who were naturally funny people doing stuff, and we were all quite different and all had different. That was what was good about it. We were all quite. Steve was more sort of quite straight and doing some one-liners. I was weird, and Greg's sort of good at being sort of the, the sort of authoritative figure, yeah. And this worked really well. It was really good chemistry. It was really funny. And, um, yeah, well, I think we were really good. I think maybe I've done some stand-up I'm proud of. I like some of the short... I mean, I, I make films on YouTube. Some of them are total dog shit. I don't care to put it out there. I think I was put out there. Yeah. Some of them, I'm really, I think, are really funny. Mr. Dog shit? Yeah, my, like 80%, 85% dog shit. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta get that content out, though. You, you know. Well, it's the thing, isn't it? Just all oh, right. Is this a holiday, or can I classify it as a working break? <laughs> can I classify this as a working break? Yes. So your life has become, <laughs> you know, you're proud of the big show and stuff, and now you've done that. Now you can concentrate on how you can somehow evade <laughs> any kind of not tax not evade. By... Never do that. <laughs> I, I think I've become. The odd thing about comedy, you know, I say, is it starts off as you go to a different stage where it starts off as something you've got a normal job, and I think I was working. I was working until I was about twenty nine, thirty as a normal job, and then I went full time. Then I'm about to do. I have to do crap things. I chop down trees, my little brother, for extra cash, and mm-hmm. do painting, decorating here and there just to get some more money. Yeah, but it, it becomes it's sort of your dream thing to become go full time. When you do go full time, it's it's never a full time job because it's it could be a good year, and then a shit year. Mm. No, everyone has like two or three year bursts where it's great, then it's really sparse, and it becomes your job then, which is really odd when your hobby and your dream becomes your job, and then you've got to sort of be. Now I'm a mercenary about it. No, just take the work, just get the money because mm. I want to one day be able to afford to, uh, to buy a place to live somewhere <laughs> where yeah. that's what you have to do yeah. I think that's different and then it's almost like, oh, that, well right it's now actually my job and I've got to try and do things that I want that I'm proud of but I think as I, I alluded to before my need to please people has been sort of maybe even eroded by both the industry and by getting older so 
I don't need. I don't know when I'll do that. I think you lose the urgency to do that thing. Yeah. It's been a, a pleasure spending a day with you. It's been a whole day, isn't it? Been a whole day. Seeing the film, you should check out your film podcast. Don't have to. Don't bother. Don't have to if you don't want to. Don't bother. But thank you for uh, giving me your time. And um, my pleasure. I hope to uh, see you soon, and um, you know maybe we could hang out again sometime. And uh... and cue music. There you have it, the lovely, the hilarious, the charming and intelligent man that it is and was, because you've just listened to it, so it's past tense, Marek Larwood. Really enjoyed hanging out with him at the cinema on that day. You know, nothing wrong with two adults that have never met each other going to the cinema together, but not on a date. Nothing wrong with that. That's just how I roll now. That's what, that's what I do. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it, tell your friends, rate me, maybe, rate me, that is, um, on on the app. I've got some very exciting news. Um, I've actually ordered 100 Scaliva or Not pin badges. Uh, money out of my own pocket, I see it as an investment, and I'll be giving them out. Um, I, I don't know how, really. If you ask me for one, I will give you one, or I'll send you one, uh, something like that, I think. Or I'll just attach a load to a bag and send it up in a helicopter and blast it all over London and see what happens, see if my um, Twitter followers kind of increase off the back of that. So don't forget Schedule Healing at the Bill Murray Angel it's well worth your money if you want to donate at the end because it's actually free to get in. So do that and the 6th of December come and see me at Camden Head at May Martin's Night. Could be a disaster either way it'll be a laugh. Thanks again for listening and Skaleve in a better world. Follow me on Twitter, at Matt Skillington. Follow my comedy group too, at Seldom Differ Comedy. And you can get me on Instagram, baby. Skillive it or not, I've just talked on air. And I've probably drunk my tea. I've chatted the breeze in my hope that you cared. Who could it have been? Believe it or not, it was just me. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good night! <laughs>